Super Talk Mississippi media production. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View, the show that celebrates the men and women who are making Coast of Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. Thank you for listening on 103.1 or on YouTube or Facebook or your favorite podcast, or you might be listening on Super Talk TV across the state of Mississippi's. However you come to this show, we really appreciate you taking time out of your day to celebrate Coastal Mississippi and uh, to spend some time with us uh, here on Coast View. We really, really, really appreciate it. Uh, by the way, it's, uh, it's cold outside. <laughs> it's a really, really, really cold morning. So I hope you're staying warm and, uh, you know, this too shall pass. I mean, one of the, one of the prices of painting of, of living and, uh, and, in paradise is that from time to time we're going to have a real cold spell and this is today is no no exception to that rule that is for sure hey look in the past i've shared uh something a friend of mine posted robert st john's he actually posted this on his facebook page some months ago and uh, i've shared it before on 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 coast view but he says this is a this is something that's on his bathroom mirror and it's a great reminder of why we should look at each day as such a precious day and here's here's what here's what the saying says. This is the beginning of a new day. You have been given this day to use as you will. You can waste it or you can use it for good. What you do today is important because you're exchanging a day of your life for it. When tomorrow comes, this day will be gone forever. In its place is something you left behind. Let it be something good. I think that is so powerful and it's so fitting with uh, what Coast View is all about, just to remind people to go out and make, make, make a difference in your life every single day. And we, we talk about that in every way we can. Um, Robert actually is a, is a chef and a, and a restaurant owner in Hattiesburg area, but he's also been involved in statewide efforts, a number of different ones over the years, most recently uh, during the pandemic, the Restart Mississippi effort. Uh, you know him as an author. Uh, you may have seen his hit TV show, Palette to Palette, with the incomparable watercolorist. Wyatt Waters. Um, and as you've listened to past shows, you know that I know him well from our work together on the Governor's Commission on Recovery, Rebuilding, and Renewal after Hurricane Katrina. Um, he spent his childhood here in coastal Mississippi, uh, you know, a lot of time on the bayous, as I would say, uh, here, learning a lot about life and cooking and just life on the water. Uh, he's been a great advocate for coastal Mississippi, and he's been on Coastview quite a number of times. And if you've been if you've been paying attention to the news lately, you probably have turned on your evening news. I don't even know if you say that anymore because we're in a 24-hour news world these days. But you've seen him speaking out on behalf of the 500,000 independent restaurants and the more than 11 million restaurant employees uh, related to uh, efforts that the federal government should be taking as it relates to um, restaurants in America. We They need our help. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that this morning. But as a result of yeah, there really being so much to talk about with Robert this morning. I decided that we'll spend a whole whole show just kind of checking in with him and seeing what's going on. So without any further ado, let me just say good morning, my friend. Good morning, Ricky. How are you? Good to, good to be good. here this morning. So there's a lot to talk about. Obviously, the pandemic and your efforts there, your face has been ubiquitous. Um, opening your new restaurant, I want to talk about that because that's been a fascinating 
uh, time. You actually recently wrote a, a really good column about the honeymoon of a restaurant, and um, I enjoyed reading that. I think that was your 22nd restaurant to open. Yeah. And uh, then we, we can uh, get an update on Extra Table, your charity effort as well. But you, may, you heard what I read at the beginning of the show. You live by that, don't you? I do. It's on my mirror. Uh, it's right on my desk uh, in my office. And I actually saw that, I don't know, 10 or 20 years ago down in the panhandle of Florida, uh, painted on a piece of furniture. Or, or, or some kind of wood hanging on the wall. I can't really remember, but I took a photograph of it and I typed it up, laminated it, put it on my mirror just to remind me that, you know, each day is, uh, is an important day. You don't want to waste a day. And, and kind of, I read that every morning. I look at it when I'm at work and it wasn't until about a year ago that I learned that that is something I don't think he wrote it, but he cited it all the time. Uh, Coach Bear Bryant uh, was that was a big thing. Um, he did. I'm not an Alabama fan, but um, certainly he was he was a, a legend in coaching circles. But that was a saying. Um, I, uh, somebody sent me a clip. Actually, when I posted that on Facebook, I posted fairly often. But somebody sent me a clip of him speaking, and it was a paraphrased version. So I probably have the paraphrased version. But either way, it's a. Um, it's a good message to uh, live by. And obviously if it worked for the bear, maybe, uh, maybe it'll work for you and me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's always, it's, it's, it's fun following you on social media just because you, you kind of share in any given day, sort of what's on your mind that day. And there's a lot on your mind these days. I mean, the, certainly the pandemic is on your mind and the, the work that we can do to help restaurants. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Your new restaurant, Rayo, is on your mind. Does I say that right? Is it pronounced Rayo? El, El, El Rayo. El Rayo. El Rayo. Wow. See, I messed that it's one up. spelled with an A, but if it was spelled with an E, it'd be El Rayo. It's kind of the yeah. whole Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a text mix. And what was fascinating to me watching the development of this concept was the extent to which you traveled to other restaurants really across the country, actually, and studied you know, all these different approaches and whatever. And I look forward to in the, in this conversation today just to talk about how does a entrepreneur, restaurant entrepreneur, decide to go through this process, this best practice process you went through, that it ultimately leads you to a menu. That's I really want to learn more about that, and we'll we'll do that in a second. Okay. Um, and then of course you know you've uh, you've been involved in your I mean keeping the focus on extra table, which is really really important. Tell why extra table is so important to you. Yeah, uh, well, it it was needed, and and it was something that wasn't uh, being done. It's something I didn't search out to do. I got a, I got a call one day in two thousand nine from a a food pantry that was completely out of food. They called me up and said, "Can you help? We we need food right now. We've got people coming in in a couple of days." And I said, "Sure, I'd be happy to help." And so I figured the quickest, best, easiest way to help them would be call Cisco, the food service distributor, and I have them just drop ship a shipment of food. Uh, I did that, and that kind of set off this whole whole thing that you know maybe places like that wouldn't run out of food if there were an easier delivery system to get them food because most places like that, and there there are several on the coast that we supply. Um, 
most places like that uh, operate on food drives, which they won't tell you and they shouldn't tell you. But I'll tell you that the, the most ineffective way to uh, fund or, or get food to a food pantry uh, there is, because unfortunately, what most people do is use that as an opportunity to kind of clean out their their cabinet. And so when you go through these places, a lot of times what you see is blueberry pie filling and I mean, things like that. And when Mississippi has 200,000 school kids who have a school breakfast and a school lunch and don't eat again until the next day. I mean, it's a real thing. And they don't need blueberry pie filling. So when I found an extra table, I founded it on two principles. Number one, 100% of the money we raise for food will always go to purchase food. And so we raise like 100% of that money we raise for food. We And we buy wholesale and in bulk and buy the truckload. And so we really, I mean, if you wanted to go to the grocery store and fill up a cart for $500, we could take that same $500 and fill up three or four carts. Um, and number two, it's always going to be healthy food because that's what I learned. I went after, after that first phone call in 2009, I went on kind of a fact finding, you know, self-discovery mission. And I just traveled around to soup kitchens. To be honest with you, I was a little skeptical. There was even a hunger problem in Mississippi. I'm thinking, you know, this is America. This doesn't happen here. I learned, I learned quickly. There's a huge problem. And out of the, uh, 2.9 2.9 million citizens in Mississippi, uh, there are about 670,000 or one in five who suffer from what the government calls food insecurity. And, and what I noticed when I was traveling around to these places, then I learned that there's a lot of unhealthy food uh, served to the population, which is why we at the time were number one in food insecurity, but also number one in obesity. And I had a problem reconciling those two things. I'm like, well, you know, somebody's eating something somewhere. I was pretty cynical about it. But I learned uh, the more research I did that those two always go hand in hand. Because if you don't have enough money to lead a proper diet, you're living out of a convenience store drinking the cheapest sugar drinks and snack foods. And, you know, anything's better than nothing. So that's why there's so much obesity. So number one. We planted our flag on 100% of the money we raise for food goes to food. No administrative costs, nothing like that. Number two, it's always going to be healthy food. Low-fat proteins, low-sugar fruits, healthy grains, low-sodium vegetables, things like that. And so we have really grown this thing. I mean, it's one thing I have learned is that a nonprofit is, is really slow to build. And we've had a, a slow growth, but... I've got some really, really cool stuff to report. And when we come back on the other side of the of the hour, I got to give you some numbers, man, that we are so fired up about uh, that they, we are really excited about talking about the effectiveness of Extra Table. This is Robert St. John. We'll finish the conversation about Extra Table and then talk about his like media tour as it relates to restaurants and his passion about why there needs to be help. We'll be back after this break. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to Coast You. Uh, we have Robert St. John with us today. He ha- he has, and we didn't talk about this at the beginning, a, a company called New South Restaurant Group. It has a new restaurant uh, called El Rio. Did I say that correctly that time? And yeah. uh, the Mahogany Bar, Tabela's, the Midtowner, Ed's Burger Joint, uh, the Crescent City Grill, and also the Purple Parrot Room now. And uh, we'll come back and talk about where he is as it relates to his business these days, what's what's happening in this business? Uh, what's it like to open a, a new restaurant in the throes of a pandemic? But we were headed towards some extra table statistics. Give me give me the latest. Yeah. So so one thing I've learned, Ricky, is that when you start a 501c3 from scratch, it is a slow roll uphill. And but it's something we were passionate about. And we brought in uh, an executive director. Her name's Martha Allen. She's been there almost three years now, and she is a force force of nature, man. She she got lit on fire and really grew this thing. And we, I'll tell you this. I'll, this is the easiest way to put it. In 2019, our best year to date, um, we shipped. Um, I think it was 268 thousand pounds of healthy food. Uh, feeding charities and, and the feeding world uh, when it comes to hunger uh, measures everything in pounds in poundage not really the best thing to do because you could be sending you know junk food in pounds and, and and it'll go but you know everything I'm talking about is healthy food and that's what we deal with but so 2019 we did 268,000 pounds this January we shipped over 280,000 pounds more than we did the full year in 2019. So what we did in 2019 that, and what is so impressive, and I want to give Martha Allen the credit because for most of the year until August, she was doing it by herself. So that's a, that's a statewide charity run with one employee. And so, I mean, it's very effective. Um, We shipped just in regular business, 1.2 million pounds of food during the pandemic in 2020. But we also made uh, a partnership uh, with Dairy Fresh for milk and shipped another 4,700,000 pounds of milk. And so that was a total of 5.9 million pounds of food that Extra Table did, mostly with one employee. And uh, it's it's a 2,200% increase over the previous year, which is going to be hard to top. But um, we went uh, from 39 agencies uh, in 32 counties last year. Uh, We're up to 62 agencies in 49 counties. And so the growth has just been, you know, it was really slow, slow, slow. And then, you know, last year, as bad as last year was, the need was so, so great out there that, you know, the, the timing was right for us to really you know, step up and and make a difference in in Mississippi because there are so many people in need out there. Well, there were, you know, before the pandemic, as you pointed out, there were so many people in need and then the pandemic just exacerbates the situation. So it's amazing what you can do with focused partners and volunteers. Um, and I love the thought, you know, you, you bring a vision of what, what extra table needs to accomplish. And you have Martha Allen coming in and, and taking sort of that challenge and taking it to a whole new level. Um, man, when you have dedicated leadership on an effort like this, you can, you can tackle the world. And, you know, we hear it every day from guests that are, that are just making a difference. Let's shift gears now. 
we, we don't want to get too bogged down, but I just want to make sure that I cover this before we get to your passion about how to help restaurants across the nation. As I mentioned, your, your New South restaurant group is uh, multifaceted. How, how is business overall and how do, you, how do you sort of judge where you are relative to the pandemic? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's really concept by concept. It depends on, on which restaurant uh, we're talking about. Um, I, I will tell you this, that we in Mississippi are in so much better uh, shape and position than my friends. I'm on a daily Zoom call with the uh, Independent Restaurant Coalition with people across the country. And there are people in California, New York, and Chicago, Denver. Um, and those states have basically, you know, just shut restaurants down altogether. And uh, what we've done, I mean, we were in various states of close. We had Midtown or our kind of breakfast lunch place was closed for four months. And then the other one's uh, Purple Parrot, which was kind of our flagship, the restaurant I opened, first restaurant in 1987. Uh, when March hit, we... Um, we knew that wasn't going to be a business model that was going to work going forward. So that restaurant we had had for 32 years, uh, we made the decision to, to close uh, permanently, uh, as well as the cocktail bar uh, next to it. And I, at the time, I was working on a Tex-Mex concept for the last couple of years that I was going to do at another location on another site. And when we made the decision to, to shut down the Parrot, I thought, well, you know, let's let's just reconfigure this room, redecorate, and do do the Tex-Mex concept here. It has a big outdoor component, and so we're right now in the middle of uh, we're building a 3,500 square foot patio out there with an outside bar and a rooftop bar and a taco truck out there and all sorts of things. So instead of doing that on another piece of property and buying another piece of property, I'm doing it on one I own, but. Um, I'm either a shrewd restaurateur or a complete and total idiot for, for taking out a loan in the middle of a global pandemic, but we needed something to do with that space and I was paying for the space, wasn't generating any income. And, and so far the response has been overwhelming. It's something I'm really proud of. And you, you talked about those restaurant openings at the beginning of the show. Um, I've been a part of 22 restaurant openings. Three of those were the first three places I worked. Uh, I was part of opening a place uh, way back in the early 80s. Uh, but 19 of those openings have been mine. And, and uh, restaurant openings are a pretty unique animal. But this one has gone pretty well, even with, you know, some limited seating and some issues. And you know, we're following all the CDC guidelines and the State Department of Health guidelines. And uh, it has been well received. I, I probably did more R&D on this concept than any other one I've done. And I, I typically do research and development to a, to a large extent. The restaurant we opened immediately before this were, were two. We did a dual thing. I opened the Midtowner, uh, which is still open breakfast and lunch. And so that was a pretty easy traveling around, just eating at community cafes and meeting threes and getting some ideas there. Uh, but we also did a small batch donut shop called Midtown Donut. It has closed too. Um, it's It was located uh, directly across from Southern Miss uh, campus. And, and typically there are 15, you know, thousand students over there that aren't there right now. And it didn't make sense to, to reopen that, but did a lot of research on donuts too. As my girth would uh, 
uh, Belay, but I hadn't. Um, uh, I, we had we won't redo that. But this Tex-Mex thing is. I mean, it's true Tex-Mex. I spent a lot of time in Houston and Dallas in people's kitchens and meeting with uh, different chefs and uh, Atlanta, Montana, Wyoming. I mean, all over the place. We took uh, a couple of weeks back in September during the shutdown and, and just ate my way through um, a lot of those places and learned a lot. And we've tried to stay true to what real Tex-Mex uh, cuisine is. And so far the response has been good. Yeah, real, hey, real quick before we shift gears, talk about the process you guys do to infuse the meat. Yeah, yeah. So so a lot of times, you, you know, you go to a Mexican restaurant or a Tex-Mex restaurant and you order steak fajitas and it comes out like kind of gray, uh, twisted stew meat. I mean, it just doesn't look real pretty. It doesn't taste good. It's tough. Um, that's because they're using flap or flank. Flap steak, flank steak. What the what I learned on this uh, tour in this R&D is that the real guys use skirt steak. There's inside skirt and there's outside skirt. Inside skirt is really good. Outside skirt is the best. And so we buy outside skirt we age it for 30 days, it's important. Then we marinate it, and then we put it in a vacuum tumbler. We do this every day. And this vacuum tumbler is a machine on the counter. It looks like a small kind of cross between a rock tumbler and a clothes dryer. And, and we, we put the meat and the marinade in there, seal it, uh, turn it on, and it creates a vacuum. And what happens, it forces the marinade into the muscle of the protein, and then it starts tumbling around. And so all sides get covered. And you actually see the marinade kind of disappear a little bit. You don't leave it in there long, you turn it off and it kind of comes back out. But it makes a huge difference in the way that outside skirt steak uh, tastes. And so anything on that menu, um, fajitas, steak, uh, tacos, steak, nachos, um, uh, steak enchiladas, anything we use that. Now with chicken, we, we just brine it for 24 hours and we make sure we use small birds, which is which yeah. is a big difference. A lot of times you go to restaurants nowadays, chicken's really tough. We, we spec out two and a half pound birds and they're smaller and more tender. This is Robert St. John. Uh, when we Coast back, View we're on Super Talk 103.1 is brought to you by J. Allen Toyota on I-10 Exit 38 Gulfport. See all the incredible inventory at allentoyota.com. And remember, when you think Toyota, think J. Allen Toyota. the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We have Robert St. John's with us. Uh, he's a restaurant entrepreneur, a statewide leader in lots of different ways, but he's super passionate about what he knows and what he's learned about the impact of the pandemic on 
on restaurants across the country. And, you know, you mentioned a few minutes ago that when you're on these conference calls with restaurateurs from some of these other states that have had these really serious lockdowns, it's amazing to me, given Mississippi's experience, which has not been perfect. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. I mean, look, look, no state's perfect as it relates to the pandemic because we're in uncharted territory. We're having to constantly put new things in place. But the reality is we came to the realization sort of early on as it related to our students going back to school, as it related to businesses going, you know, going back to business. As if, we're, if we follow the CDC guidelines and we work hard to protect people, that we can do both. We can protect people and we can keep our economy open. And so if, if nothing else, Mississippi and a few other states have been really good best practices for how to reopen the economy. In, in Mississippi's case, it's number three on the list of states in the nation in terms of economic recovery after the shutdown. That's pretty significant. Um, it is amazing to me, though, Robert, that we're still having debates in other states about whether the students should go to school or not or whether businesses should be remain open or not. Uh, a lot of those are being discussed, are being forced by, in some cases, union situations, other cases, you know, um, uh, governors or mayors that are just way, way, way too conservative in their approach to the pandemic or too protective might be the best word. But it's amazing to me that we're not capturing the essence of what has worked in most states and implemented that across the other states. It's got to be frustrating to the restaurant owners that you talk to. Well, it's <laughs> there, uh, a lot of states like California and other places, as far as the restaurant industry goes, I mean, they're facing a mass extinction event of, of, of restaurants. It just, you know, you, you can't stay that shut down for that long and, and try to figure it out. And so just to look on the positive end of things, Mississippi, whether it's statewide leadership or it's local leadership, has has really done just about as well as you could do in this thing. And and I'm going to tell you, Governor Reeves, man, that guy came in one weekend. He had the, he had the what was it, the uh, human service, the Department of Human Services crisis. Then he had the prison deal. He had tornadoes. He had floods. He had a global pandemic. And, and I'm going to tell you, so uh, I think credit needs to go to uh, Governor Reeves. He's uh, followed what uh, Dr. Dobbs has done. And I know local uh, mayors. I talked to Billy Hughes every once in a while. He's done a solid job. My mayor, Toby Barker, uh, has done a good. So I think really it just comes to leadership and and common sense. And, um, you know, you got to lock down the, the nursing homes and the assisted living facilities. My mother's in one and uh, they've done a good job at that place uh, doing that. So um, restaurants, we followed you know, all the CDC and State Department of Health guidelines and have opened up slowly but surely in different phases. I mean, we're not 100 um, uh, percent seating capacity yet, nor should we be, I guess. I'm not, I, I leave all the medical stuff to, to the experts. But, you know, um, we we are able to open and operate uh, safely and smartly. And like you said, my my friends on the Independent Restaurant Coalition, which was really just formed in March, this organization, which has been so effective. And it's it's some heavyweights across the country and me for some reason. But, um, you know, if you look at it, 
we we were our first meeting was March 19th by Zoom. We met twice a day for months and months, uh, just trying to get some relief from Congress. And when President Trump in May had a restaurant summit in the White House, uh, the I think there were there was Trump and Mnuchin. Um, you had the vice president there. You had Jared Ivanka. You had uh, Kudlow. I mean, all the heavy hitters. There were nine restaurateurs there. Um, three of the nine were from the Independent Restaurant Coalition, which at the time was about three months old. And so um, they found out I was from Mississippi and knew uh, Senator Wicker. And so I worked with Wicker and his team, uh, this guy named Rob Murray, who is from the Gulf Coast. And if anybody listening right now knows Rob Murray and knows who he is, who works in Senator Wicker's office, I'm going to tell you, and you can't do this. You can't give these people food. But that once that guy's out of government, he should never buy another meal in a restaurant on the Gulf Coast for the as long as he lives, if that's legal, because he has worked hard um, and through Senator Wicker's office to get this restaurants act. Um, we in the last Congress, we got to where it passed the House. We had 215, I think, House members sign on. We had 53 senators, and we had senators from both sides of the aisle. And these contentious times when you can get Chuck Schumer and Dick Durbin on one side and John Cornyn and Lindsey Graham to agree on the other side, you've really done something. Uh, we couldn't push it past. Uh, Rubio and Collins were, were a little bit of the hold up there. And so, as you know, Ricky, any new bill, once you get a new Congress, all the, all the old bills um, – are kind of put to rest and mothballed. And so we are working towards, and we just got a great vote uh, about two weeks ago, uh, and the Senate voted 90 to 100 to add uh, this Restaurants Act uh, we've been working towards uh, that Senator uh, Wicker and Rob Murray and his office have have crafted and worked towards. Uh, they've they voted to add that into this. So we're, it's not a done deal yet. We we need um, we need uh, Congressman Palazzo to, to to sign on board, and I've been in touch with him a good bit, and he's very supportive of restaurants and and knows the impact of restaurants on the coast. Um, I don't have the state numbers in front of me, but I can give you national numbers. And and you quoted the 11 million people who work in restaurants across the country, but you also have five million who work in ancillary businesses, and those are fishermen and their families, oystermen, shrimpers, all those guys. Uh, farmers, um, you know, it's not just restaurants. And the thing about it is the restaurant business is unique. There's, it's a unique business model. Um, if you've got a, if you own a clothing boutique or if you own a sporting goods store, you open at 9 a.m., you close at 9 p.m., and people trickle in kind of all throughout the day. Um, in a restaurant, you open at 11 a.m., and so really from about 11.30 until 1 p.m., you, that's your window. To make money um, at dinner, it's usually seven to eight thirty, maybe six to eight. You got another hour and a half, so really three hours a day uh, in a restaurant. And the thing about restaurants is it's based on seating capacity. Every decision a restaurateur makes is based on seating capacity. Uh, before you open, you're going to determine what you can pay your managers, what you can pay your landlord, what you can pay the bank. Everything's based on seating capacity. And so when your seating capacity gets cut by 50 percent and you only have three hours within which to work, then it's just a, it's just an unworkable situation. So um, and that's if you're open. 
Yeah, that's if you're correct. And and so, you know, it's it's been a thing and that's why they've um, you know, we we've kind of been out front on all these different forms of news media, whether it's, you know, Fox News or or this Wall Street Journal op-ed I wrote and you know, it's just people understand though. I want to tell you the support we have we have received has has been heartwarming and people get it, but you know, and what I'm talking about are independent restaurants, independent locally owned restaurants. I'm not talking about franchises or corporate uh, chains because those guys ha- have a lot of access to capital. Most of them are publicly traded companies, and um, and they can weather a storm like this. But your mom and pop place on the corner, little diner downtown, the the pizza place there in Gulfport, you know, all of those kind of places. You know, that's what makes up the character of a town or city. People aren't traveling to New Orleans for conventions so they can eat at chain restaurants. They want to eat at independent, locally owned, local flavor restaurants. You know, when I when I travel out of town, I always go to the lobby of the hotel and I ask the front desk guy, I say, you know, where's the local breakfast place? I want to go where the old guys are talking about sports and politics. And because that's where I'm going to learn about that town and the people in that town. It's not, at, you know, some kind of national chain or something. And, and I'll tell you the situation in Hattiesburg, we have probably had 20 restaurants closed since last March. You know, we're 45,000 people, small town. We've had 20 restaurants close. Every single one of them was an independently owned, locally owned restaurant. No national chains have closed. I mean, you know, you you drive through Chick-fil-A or whatever and you see the crowds. I mean, those guys aren't hurting, but place other other places uh, like independently owned restaurants, you know, that's that's where the hurt is. So if you um, if you go and take a look at this, what you'll see is the independent restaurant coalition, the, the organization that Robert's talking about. That restaurant and bar sales since the pandemic started have fallen over $180 billion. And, of course, I spent time in New Orleans, as you know, as president of Nolan Media Group and publisher of the, of the Times-Picayune. And the stories that I'm hearing coming out of New Orleans are just, I mean, they're just heartbreaking. I mean, entire neighborhood, you know, neighborhoods full of these wonderful restaurants are just closing. And... I mean, they have no no access, as you pointed out, to capital, and they're so worn down. I mean, that's that's true here in coastal Mississippi, as we discussed as well. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Robert St. John. We'll see you after the break. Coast View on Super Talk 103.1 is brought to you by J. Allen Toyota on I-10 Exit 38 Gulfport. See all the incredible inventory at allentoyota.com. And remember, when you think Toyota, think J. Allen Toyota. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We have Robert St. John with us. And when we went to break, we were talking about the national effort underway to, to help independent restaurants. And uh, there's an independent restaurant coalition that's, that was formed and uh, I thought it was I thought it was amazing, actually, Robert, that that in the short period of time you guys have been able to sort of you know, marshal your forces that in this meeting at the White House with restaurants, uh, the nine restaurant tours or restaurant companies that were represented or organizations that were represented, three of the nine were from the independent coalition, which is a which I think is a great testament not only to you you guys' leadership, but 
the realization that you represented so many restaurants and bars across this nation. I mean, it is, it is an amazing, it is an amazing group of people that traditionally really didn't have a lobbying effort working for them. Is, isn't yeah. that true? Well, that's true. There's the national restaurant association, but, but a lot of their, um, interests have to do with national chains and they, I mean, they have been, I mean, I'm a member of the national restaurant association too, but you know, they're, there were two members of the NRA at that White House meeting and three members of the Independent Restaurant Coalition. So um, independent restaurants have, and anybody interested, I would say go to saverestaurants.com and you can learn about it. And and if, if you want to do something today to make sure that those locally owned Great Coast Seafood restaurants uh, stick around, uh, send a letter to Congressman Palazzo, ask him to sign on to that bill. He's a great guy, and um, and we appreciate his support. We just need him to sign that that legislation and sign on to that on in the House version of that bill. Um, but you know, we the thing about restaurants, and we talked about the numbers in eleven. It's the number two industry in the country behind healthcare. And so if you look at independent restaurants alone and the ancillary businesses, like we talked about, fishermen, shrimpers, oystermen, um, that's 16 million people. The airline industry, which obviously is, has a unique business model and singular, they have 700,000 people that work for. So we're talking about 700,000, and they have received uh, targeted relief twice. The airline industry has restaurants, which is the number two industry in the country, um, has has hadn't received anything yet, and you're talking about 16 million people. They passed this act, and you want to you want to affect the unemployment numbers. You can move the unemployment unemployment national average in a positive way by 2.4 percent with a stroke of a pen. And you're going to get that money back. You're the government's going to save whatever they put into the Restaurants Act, Senator Wicker's Restaurant Act. They're going to save whatever money they put in by not paying out in unemployment, um, revenue coming in. It, it's just, you know, mental health, everything. It, it falls yeah. through. So we've and got Robert, you know, the, part of the tragedy here is that um, by the time it passes, since this is sort of the first wave, you know, targeted uh, help, so many businesses will, will already have gone out of business. And as we learned after Hurricane Katrina, I mean, if you think uh, Katrina is soon to be 16 years ago, it wow. takes a long time to recover from a disaster. It just does. I mean, that's just a reality. And if you think of the pandemic sort of being this worldwide disaster, it will take years for us to fully appreciate and understand the impact of the pandemic. I mean, there's just no way, way around that. And what we're trying to do is minimize that. We're, ma we're trying to minimize the amount of reco recovery that's going to have to happen that's so needed in the local communities. And it's a real shame, actually, that we haven't been able to get alignment around this already. Do you feel that way? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think what you say, I, I completely agree. I mean, we're facing something that will be so life-changing. It will be the Depression, the Great Depression or World War II or something like that. The people that come out of this um, are going to be so affected in so many different ways. And I think we're going to have so many changes um, that, that life going forward is, is, is certainly going to be different. But what we have to have are independent, locally owned businesses uh, to survive. Because, that's, again, that's what makes up the character of a community. The coast, the Mississippi coast, is what it is because 
when when I was a kid, you know, I went down. I, I ate my first raw oyster at Bear Sebs. We used to get fried shrimp at the Friendship House. You know, all of those Mary Mahoney's, all of those locally owned. See, that's what makes up the character of the coast. It's not the national and nothing against national chains because, you know, I'm sure people people eat in those a lot. But but the national chain at the at the interstate intersection at I-10 and 49 is going to be the same one that you see in Peoria, Illinois and Portland, Oregon. It tells you nothing about the city. It's these locally owned places that make up a community and the character of a community. I want to shift gears in like the last couple of minutes that we have. Uh, I went back and watched uh, the palette to palette programs focused on Italy. And, uh, you know, my association with you has made me more interested in Italy. Uh, You know, we're out of time. We only have a minute left. But every time I see Italy or the Tuscany region of of Italy, I think about you. And I bet you can't wait to get back on the road. Just maybe for closing thoughts of 15 seconds. Yeah, I really can. And I'm in touch with my friends over there almost daily. And uh, we canceled seven trips. Uh, we weren't able to go. We're gonna we're gonna go again, but uh, they're they're having a really rough over there too because their government isn't as strong as our government, and they're they're expecting about four hundred thousand businesses to close. Wow, it's uh, here. That's yeah. that's hard to hear, man. Listen, to, uh, Robert St. John, thank you for your friendship. Thank you for the visit, and and also for your leadership. And uh, good luck. I'm closing a deal for, for, for restaurants and bars across the United States. And have a great day. SaveRestaurants.com. SaveRestaurants.com. We'll be back after this break. Broadcasting safe and sound from the coastal Mississippi studios. This is Coast View, View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.